This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a purposeful and peaceful life. Okay, a little business before we get to today's show. First, I'm excited to announce that we've got a new report for July that you can grab, and it's called Stop Self-Sabotage, How to Avoid the Three Top Pitfalls That Kill Momentum. And I wrote it thinking about the honeymoon phase when we adopt a new habit or behavior. So, you know, I bought the treadmill and I worked out religiously for the first two weeks. Um, I threw out all the cheese and I had avoided dairy for the entire month of June. I downloaded the meditation app and I sat steadfastly every morning for 10 days. And then what happens? So I feel sore and I skip a day on the treadmill and a month later it's on Craigslist and it's just, you know, this space hogging towel rack in my living room. Or the office has a pizza party and I break down and I eat nine slices of cold, gooey, cheesy, greasy pizza. I wake up late on Saturday. I can't quite fit the meditation in. I say I'll do it later in the day and I don't. And before I know it, sitting is like this faint memory with no relevance whatsoever to my regular life. And the question is, what happened? And the answer is, life happened. And life always happens. And if we don't understand how to navigate the unexpected, the stressful, and the challenging, then all of our efforts to improve our healthy habits and behaviors will always crash and burn eventually as soon as life stops being perfectly cooperative. And it's really easy to self-sabotage our changes because even with the best of intentions, those old habits are hanging on for dear life. And the cravings claw tenaciously at our reptilian brains and the path of least resistance beckons constantly. So if we don't understand these laws of change, we will give in and backslide every single time. So the self-sabotage report is about how to identify those three top pitfalls, the three ways of thinking that we engage in that take our honeymoon period and then just slam it back in our face and don't let us get to that blessed point of second nature where the new habit is as easy to maintain as the old bad one was. You can get it at plantyourself.com slash sabotage, just S-A-B-O-T-A-G-E, plantyourself.com slash sabotage, and that'll be available for the entire month of July. Second announcement, I'm going to keep this brief because it embarrasses me a little bit. It's about money. It's about keeping the lights on. It's about keeping the tape rolling. It's about keeping me fully engaged in the podcast as one of the main things that I do every single week. Now, you know that I don't take any advertisements. You know that I don't do affiliate deals with my guests, and I don't have any sort of sponsorships. It's just me subsidizing the podcast with my coaching and consulting, and it was a lot easier to do that when I was in the internet marketing world as opposed to the health coaching world. So I've taken to asking for support for the podcast directly, and this is kind of important because I feel like this podcast is really an opportunity for you to get information that is totally unbiased by business, by money, by big corporations, by the type of sponsorships that would be pretty easy for me to get at this point. The only bias is my own, and I try to keep it in check, but I know how insidious it can be when I need to run around and chase money, and I have to think of that that first, as opposed to thinking about you and our relationship. And, you know, The internet is an incredible thing, and we've come to expect everything for free. And the truth is, this isn't free. This costs me a lot. And if you get value out of it, I would love for you to join. Now, I know human nature being what it is, why should you pay for something you get for free anyway? So I'm sweetening the pot a little bit for anyone who wants to become a patron on Patreon. And to do that, all you do is go to patreon.com slash plantyourself, or you can find the link on plantyourself.com just in the right sidebar where it uh, asks for donations. And here's the deal. If you become a patron on Patreon, which could be as little as a dollar a month, I'm going to give you access to my three times a month healthy habit huddles. These are hour-long talks. This is not me interviewing anyone. This is me sharing my best information, my experience, my coaching, uh, my wisdom around behavior change and health habit change, 
three times a month, and it includes mind maps that you can download and print out and keep, and you can download and uh, listen to the audios. You can hear them on a, as a podcast. And that's only been available for my clients and students, and now I'm making it available much more broadly. So for a uh, dollar a month, you can have access to the Healthy Habit Huddles. And I hope you'll um, – Contribute more than that if it's comfortable for you, if it's not something that you'd be worried about. The podcast is free so that I could reach as many people as possible and so that money would not be a barrier. So if money is a barrier for you, then please don't contribute. Um, that's exactly why I'm doing it. But if you can help support it and help support me and my efforts and the movement that we're all in together, you can go to plantyourself.com, click the Patreon button, or just go to patreon.com slash plant yourself and become a subscriber and you'll get access to the healthy habit huddles for as long as you subscribe. Okay, let's get to this week's episode. This week's guest is a longtime friend, Susan Orenstein. Sue is a couples therapist. She has a practice in Cary, North Carolina. And we've talked a lot over the years about the fact that when I try to help people get healthy, if they're in a committed relationship, if they have a spouse or partner, that very often that becomes a huge pitfall. Either you're trying to change your spouse and they'll have none of it, or they are resisting your change and they keep trying to get you to, uh, to give in and uh, indulge in the old favorite foods. And it becomes a real challenge for folks. And so I wanted to talk to her specifically about how to navigate those issues, but it quickly became apparent that we had to go into kind of the, the whole philosophical underpinnings of how to communicate in a relationship and what kind of relationship we're trying to build. So we talked a lot about this idea of the couple bubble, about the primary focus of a relationship being to create a safe space, to create safety. It's almost like you and your partner against the world sometimes. And if that is the, the main focus and form of the relationship, then communication on all levels becomes easier. So if you are already a uh, subscriber and you already get the Healthy Habit Huddles, you'll recognize this conversation because it was so good that we recorded a couple months ago and I just couldn't wait. So I uploaded it uh, as a Healthy Habit Huddle to help folks um, navigate those, um, those primary um, intimate relationships. But if you haven't, and this is your first time hearing it, um, I think you're in for a real treat. Susan is, is warm, witty, wise, incredibly caring and committed to, to learning and putting her learning into practice. So without further ado, Susan Orenstein, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. It's great to be here, Howie. So we've known each other a long time. Mm -hmm. We're here together in the shed quarters of the Plant Yourself podcast, uh, recording live. And I wanted you to come on the show because of your, uh, your work with couples therapy. So mm -hmm. before we get into that, can you just introduce yourself and your practice and how you got here? Sure, I would love to. So I'm a psychologist, like um, Howie said, and my specialty is couples counseling. I've always been interested in family systems and relationships and how people's contexts um, and their relationships infect, affect them personally. Uh, so I've been working with couples, and I've been in private practice for 20 years. I find it very rewarding, never boring, um, and, and really good work. Okay. And the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically was, you know, in, in the big change program and in working with clients, one of the big both potential allies and obstacles to people changing is their their spouse or committed partner and the dynamics are so varied and so interesting and so insidious mm -hmm. that you know if we don't if we don't look at that if we just look at the individual who comes to me and says okay i want to lose 40 pounds i want to get off my diabetes meds or my hypertension meds i want to you know feel better i want more energy that if we just look at them as a unit and we don't look at the the the, the family context and specifically the um you know the relationship context that they're embedded in we find that you know they just hit all sorts of of obstacles and i think probably with your experience you can help us identify those obstacles you've probably seen zillions of them and also help us figure out 
um, you know, how to proactively prevent some of the problems from coming up and to t- and maybe hopefully even turn, um, you know, accomplices in our old lifestyle into allies for, for our new one. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I, I think this will be a fun topic to talk about. Cool. So let's let's begin with like the basic question. Like if somebody wants to change and they want to become healthier and they want to, you know, have more energy and be happier and healthier, like why in the world wouldn't every partner just jump for joy and do everything they could to help? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it doesn't make sense intuitively, but if you understand how the brain works and how couples work, it actually does make sense because... Uh, couples feel secure and safe in a relationship when there's trust and there's predictability. So anybody in the partnership who's making a change can initially pose a threat. You know, I'm changing. Um, and so the, the partner doesn't know what, what to expect. It's not as predictable. It might bring up insecurities. Will you still love me if you change? Who are you going to meet? Uh, what is that going to say about me? How are you going to look at me? Am I going to be able to catch up with you? So it can bring out a lot of insecurities. Well, that, yeah, once you say that, it kind of makes it makes sense. Um, I don't know. I, what, does it always bring up insecurities? Like what? What? I don't even I don't even know exactly the question mm-hmm, to ask, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like with, if someone's contemplating making this change mm-hmm. and and they think, well, you know, no, my husband or my wife. Like, is there a way mm-hmm. to tell in advance? It, um, one thing I can link it to is it, it's not necessarily just about trying to improve your life through weight loss or exercise. Anytime one partner wants to grow, let's say you want to go back to school or you want to do anything that's separate from your partner, you have to have a relationship that can withstand some degree of what we call in um, family systems differentiation, meaning you're your own person, I'm my own person, and we can still love each other and we can still respect each other and we still connect. And um, so couples have to feel very secure and safe so that their partners can go out and see the world and come back. So there are some couples who are very good at that. They have very secure relationships. They really support each other's growths. They don't feel threatened. And they're in a more evolved kind of relationship. Um, But couples who developmentally are a little bit more um, and at an earlier stage will typically have a hard time with what we call differentiation, meaning their partner wants to do something different than them. It's, it's the way you're talking. It almost, it it does sound like the the relationship is a person like that's sort Mm -hmm, of separate mm -hmm. from the people, like a relationship can be more or less mature or developed. Is that kind of how you Mm -hmm, think about mm -hmm. it? Yes. So What we draw from in the couples therapy approach that I use in a lot, there's a lot of couple therapies based on um, something called attachment theory. And I don't want to get too technical, but attachment theory is really based on how children develop and attach and become secure in the world. And so um, we look at couples using that very same model. And if if anybody wants to go YouTube, um, some some interesting studies and um, and go online. There's some fun stuff where you watch babies and see if they're securely attached to their primary caregiver or not. And so, um, yes, I think you picked up on it exactly. We're talking about couples being in an attachment and what kind of attachment do they have and what stage are they at in attaching. Okay. If you could throw throw me some links via email, I'll post them in the show notes. I'd be happy Uh, to. Sure. And, And the fascinating thing is there's been attachment theory for decades, but now there's some neuroscience that they're linking to this. So it's kind of fun to see things come full circle and, and we can look in the brain and um, I can send you some links on, on that as well. Okay. So help mm-hmm. me understand. I understand a little bit about attachment theory mm-hmm. with children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've read some like attachment parenting blogs back in the day when I was, uh, you know, parenting and not just sort of, you know, throwing my hands up in the air and saying, like, <laughs> do whatever you want. I don't care anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it was like this sense, like little, 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 little babies mm-hmm. are very, very vulnerable to the messages of you're not included or you're not wanted or you're not like us or you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. But like, how does that apply to grownups in relationships? Great question. Um, so I'll start with one 
principle of attachment, and that's really my goal, my guiding principle when I do couples work. And um, and by the way, I practice under the model of it's called PACT, Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy. Um, want to give a shout out to Stan Tatkin, who's done great work with this model. So, um, what secure functioning is in couples is when two people know how to make each other feel safe and secure. And we are programmed in our brain to have two main systems. One is a safety and security system. To start off, let me just let people know in the common language um, when I see couples and and everybody has this language, they know they can say, oh, um, so-and-so, my husband or my partner knows how to push my buttons. Usually when people say they know how to push my buttons or I push so-and-so's buttons, they're really talking about how to, those fighting words, where they trigger that fight or flight. And that's really um, the sympathetic nervous system going online to protect us. And we're really at war with our partners. That's what we don't want to happen. What I like to help couples work on is that they can also push another button, and that is the safety and security button. So those are those loving words that trigger the parasympathetic nervous system where we feel Safety, relaxation, love, warmth, empathy. And when we're in a secure functioning relationship, we get so good at our partner that we know how to comfort them, soothe them, help calm them down. If they're going into fight or flight, we know that we're not going to push the button that's going to push them over the edge into a rage or into fear, but but instead we're going to push the button that triggers that sense of relief and safety. And that's called secure attachment. Secure attachment is when couples really know how to create safety and security for each other. They know how to relieve each other. They know how they, they know which buttons to push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking to lots of couples that I know and lots of relationships that I've been in and I've been in, you know, I've been in many different relationships with my wife, like over, <laughs> over, over the decades. Right. So, yes, that's funny. so, you know, like there's one where like both, both people in the couple are really good at pushing the safety and security button and calming the other one down when they're, you know, standing on the ledge. There's also relationships where both are really good at pushing the, the sort of spiraling into fight or flight buttons. So that, and there's also times where one of us is really good at, at at one of them, but the other isn't. So that one is like taking mm. on this, this role of always, you know, sort of being the, the mature one or the one who's going to calm down, who's going to, who's taking care of the relationship. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on those dynamics? Mm. Well, I think, of course, ideally we want both people to where we want people to have some kind of mutuality. I mean, and so it doesn't mean every day everybody's on the same playing field, but maybe one day uh, one person can feel more secure, more like the grown up, more like they can calm down the other person. But the next day, the other person can do that. Um, I think it it's probably going to be very unsatisfying if people don't have that sense of mutuality. And that they feel like they're stuck in the role of always being the one who's going to be the one who comforts the other person. Um, so, so it's really important that both partners step up and and take on the role of learning to know the their partner, to be able to know um, their body language, know the signals, know the words that trigger their partner, and know how to calm them down. It's important that both people are willing to do that. And, and of course, we all have off days, and that's why. The beautiful words, I'm sorry, are available. <laughs> but uh, both people need to step up. Well, so you've just given us sort of a context for the question that I came to you with, which mm-hmm. is about this, you know, how am I going to deal with my partner when I want to change my diet, when I want to, you know, change something about our lifestyle? Maybe it means we're going to stop going out to the same place or hanging out with the same people or but what you're talking about is like the foundation of of, of any sort of growth or negotiation. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what do you do if you find yourself in a relationship where both partners don't have this sort of exquisite mutual ability 
to to push the other person into into safety and security. And and I've got to say, I don't know what the statistics are, Mm -hmm. but I think there's very few. It's very rare Mm -hmm. to see a a couple that's really good at that. So I'm imagining most of us are somewhere on the continuum Mm -hmm. between absolutely horrendous Mm -hmm. and occasionally skilled. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like bad news. Um, However, the good news is you can learn to be in an attachment, uh, in a securely attached relationship with your partner. And and we can all learn that no matter what our original attachment was as a, a child or an infant or our family background was like, it, it takes some work and it takes awareness, but we can all learn that. And uh, I will, I can give you the name of some books by Stan Tatkin. There are some great couples uh, material out there. There are retreats. There are good couples therapists. People can learn and keep learning. So so I'm hoping just by listening to your podcast today, people are developing an awareness that this is important and this is possible. Mm-hmm. Now, so one, one of the things I'm thinking about is the times in which I have pushed Mia's buttons the worst is that I was feeling like I needed to defend something, mm-hmm. right? That uh, That I was feeling like I was under threat. And so therefore, therefore, I was going to deflect or, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even like a conscious strategy. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just, you know, this is the thing that comes up. So, you know, what are, what are some tools that we can use to, okay, so let's say I've watched some videos, I know this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in my brain, but then when the shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like hijacked, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what, what are some tools that we can use to, to create space between the, the stimulus and our uh, negative response? Mm-hmm. Uh, a pause, a breath and a pause, just, just five seconds. And that realization is huge. And then learning how to give relief to the other person after you take that pause. And often it's simple. Not simple, but it's simpler. Simpler works better than more complex. So if you find yourself doing a lot of talking, then it's best to stop talking. And, and, and think of it more like we're all, um, when we want to relate to each other on that deeper level, we're all more like our young selves where we just need a hand or a touch or that eye contact. So um, eye ca- a contact is extremely powerful and it's a way to get our parasympathetic nervous system online. Um, so if you're not, not sure what to do as a couple, uh, let me just repeat a, a pause and a breath and then being in your partner's eyes, that eye contact, um, often settles people down. I'm not talking about that harsh staring down. I'm talking about that, that warm eye contact being close enough to the person that, that they start to feel safe. So I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm looking at the notes that you brought with you. <laughs> so at the top it says mo- mirror neurons. Uh-huh. So does that have something to do with that, with the look? And t- like what? First of all, you know, is what are mirror neurons? Mm-hmm. And is that related to what we're talking about here? So yes. Yeah, so mirror neurons are what we humans have. Um, I, gosh, I, I'm interested now if all mammals have them, but I know humans have them, and that's where we can look at each other and through vocalizations and through our um, body language, we can read each other. And I'm sure dogs have this. I'm a dog person. So I know my dog has these mirror neurons, but I'm going to look it up. <laughs> um, but this is why babies love playing peekaboo. What what it means is they can, um, as early as in, um, when we're babies, we learn how to use our mirror neurons to copy the adults. So if you stick out your tongue at a baby, they will likely stick out their tongue back at you. Um, don't give them the finger. They might learn that too early. <laughs> but that's why they love peekaboo. And um, when couples are really attuned to each other, their mirror neurons fire. So in my office, it's, it's fascinating. Sometimes I'll see one um, person st- starting to pick at their nails and the partner will start to pick at their nails. Or one person will start swinging their leg and the other person will start swinging their leg. Um, or one person will put their head down and the other person will put their head down. Um, and they start to mirror each other's emotions and body language. And and the reason why that's – that, wh- how that affects human beings is that gives us a window into other people because the mirrored ne- neurons help us 
um, act as if we are the other person. It gives us empathy and perspective taking, which is ultimate, ultimately what helps couples get through their differences. So if I have the skill to uh, sort of compose myself in a certain way, then I have a chance of affecting my partner just through their mirror neurons, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that you very well put. So if you can get your body to calm down and you can show yourself as a warm, friendly person, you're not at war anymore. You're not the enemy. You are safe and secure. You're safe. Then you're going to create um, that. And it's not really a conscious thing at all. It's, it's something that happens so fast, but the, your partner will feel it. And I, that's a very simple concept and it seems obvious, but when I think back to my strategy for most of my life, when I'm in conflict with someone, my strategy is to change the other person mm-hmm. as opposed to let me change my, let me rearrange myself so the other person is drawn towards the change in myself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it seems like it's so much easier to just focus on, on me because I can change me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think what people do is they get stuck in the fight flight and they, whatever isn't working, they just try that strategy harder, longer, more intensely instead of switching gears. Um, uh-huh. And and you do we, what we have the most control over uh, is our breath. So just taking a breath gives us time to reset. <laughs> so most most of our interaction relationship is like the the foreigner tourist who's who's like yelling louder and louder in English. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. So I think, by and large, there are gender differences in how men and women approach the idea of, like, talking to each other in in relationship. And this is, it feels like, from my experience, that women would be typically more comfortable having the conversation. So let's say there's a woman listening to this podcast who wants to move to a more safety security relationship. She would love to get her male partner to listen to this podcast, but he's mm-hmm. not gonna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? What so so what can what can she do to start to the you know, the ball rolling towards moving towards this uh, you know, better relationship? Mm-hmm. Great question. Well, so it is a little more challenging because if you can get both people on the same page that they're both working on something together, they're both listening to a podcast together, they're both reading a self-help book together, even if they just read five pages of it, but it's together, then then it's you're going to see change much quicker. But that that's not saying that it's impossible if you're an individual and you want to influence your partner. But I would say uh, for women and for for men who are frustrated because they don't know how to reach out to their partner. I think it's important to, to be open and honest and share what you're learning without pressuring your partner and saying, without using a podcast or couples therapy as a weapon, because if you do that, then you're going to be triggering the person's threat system, that fight or flight. So you have to think of the overall goal, which is to create safety, um, so if you want to share any of this material because you're excited about it and you're curious about it, not because you're going to push or pressure them, then then that that could be a good strategy. So the way you described the the couple's dynamic at the very beginning of our conversation was about this, you know, that any form of growth is potentially threatening. So now we're talking about sort of a quintessential very, very fundamental kind of growth around someone's going to become healthier. Mm-hmm. Someone is going to stop doing all the, you know, the quote, bad behaviors that you've done together as a couple. So what are, what are the sort of like additional mm-hmm. factors that, that come into play mm-hmm. in a situation like this? You're asking such very important questions that I don't think are typically asked. And I think what we do know from the couples um, in the field of substance abuse recovery and even domestic violence recovery is that when one person um, becomes sober or one or one person stops the domestic violence, then the couples have to reconfigure their relationship. And and sometimes they just don't make it uh, that 
not saying that you want that you need. <laughs> well, uh, the obvious thing is that people need to be healthy. And so they need to find a relationship where it's not based on unhealthy habits. Um, but that being said, it's it can be tricky because you have to figure out what is the couple bonding? What are their um, ways that they find connection? And do they have a repertoire of lots of ways that they can find connection? Do they know um, not only how to calm each other down, but how to lift each other up and add excitement? And can you can they do all that without food? You know, with, and you don't want to do that with alcohol. You don't want to do that with threats. Do you know how to help your partner when they're sad, when they're angry, when they're bored? When um, do you know how to um, create desire? And so couples really need to work on that. And if food has become the way of doing that, hey, let's go out to eat. Let's get this sugar high, um, you know, and that could be alcohol or anything like that. Then they're going to have to learn a whole new new set of behaviors to help them feel connected so it's, it sounds almost like food if, if you're in a relationship where food is kind of the be-all and end-all especially like unhealthy food that that's probably masking a, a gaping abyss in the relationship mm-hmm. oh yes so the um but another way to look at it so that looks dark and that 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 is kind of a deficit idea which is true in a way but the other way that i like to look at it is there is an opportunity to be curious and open to having fun and i love to do that with couples to just talk to them about their bucket list as a couple what would they like to do would they like to try salsa dancing do they want to go hike do they want to be in a book club do they want want to um make some new friends? Do they want to try this kind of volunteering activity? And and that act of just coming up with a bucket list can be really fun and stimulating. And of course, they don't need to do all those things, but just to explore together and get creative together is enriching. Uh-huh. So in other words, if the, if the bucket is already full of, of uh, Cheesecake Factory cake <laughs> and, uh, and daiquiris, mm-hmm. then you need to empty those out so that you can that you then have a bucket that you can fill with fun. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what else? We, you know, if, some, if someone starts, um, like, you know, going to the gym, like a lot, a lot of the activities that people do around fitness – you know, are solitary, or at least at least not. Um, they don't include the partner, especially mm-hmm. if the partner doesn't want to be included. So it's now this person is like spending five or six mm-hmm. or seven hours a week out of the relationship, doing something else, hanging out with like mm-hmm. you know, you know, Bruno, the personal trainer. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, um, yes, because yes, yes, yes. So another thing, couples need to work on to be really strong and safe and secure is know how to put their relationship first and how to create that reassurance in each other. So if one person is going to go to the gym for a couple hours, um, then they have to make it good for their partner. They have to find a way to say, honey, I'm, I'm going to be taking care of myself. This is really important to me, but I'm going to be thinking of you. What do you want to do tonight? I mean, people don't want to feel left behind and abandoned. That's going to trigger a lot of insecurity. So it it takes really sharing what you're doing with your partner and showing them appreciation for supporting you. It can't when when we take a step towards growth and we're in a committed relationship, it can't just be about us. We can't forget about our partner. We have to remember that they're there supporting us. They have needs too. We need to thank them. We need to see what they want to grow on. Maybe they're going to be wanting to take this journey with the health together, or maybe they're going to want to grow in some other way. Maybe they want to learn Italian and and they want you to support them on that. But again, it has to be mutual. Um, So it it could be dangerous if one person becomes so, um, you know, health is an absolutely fabulous thing, but if they take it in a self-absorbed way and they forget about their partner, then, then the partner's going to be hurt and it's, it's not going to be good for either of them. Mm. So I've had a lot of experiences where I was, let's say, out to eat with a group of strangers, you know, people I've just met, and it comes time to order dessert, and I will order, like, the berries. And everyone who hears my order 
becomes defensive. Mm. <laughs> right? And these are people I don't know from Adam, and I'm never going to see again. And and why would they care what I eat? You know. So, but but that dynamic, I'm sure, is multiplied a thousandfold at the dinner table of of your you know your committed partner. Mm-hmm. We have thoughts on that. Well. <laughs> Um, do people still eat dinner together at the dinner table? Uh, right, where they're, where they're eating in the car <laughs> together. Oh, man. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just like the, uh-huh. the, a little the, self-consciousness. Well, and... the defensiveness mm-hmm. that comes up when, 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 when one person does something that makes the other person feel less than. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, and I hear a lot of this from from uh, from my clients. They're on the, to, you know, one of the people is going on this health journey, and the other one immediately feels judged mm-hmm. every time you eat an apple instead of a cookie. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you? How do you? you you're, really you're not trying to judge them, right? You're trying. <laughs> you're trying to eat the effing apple, uh-huh. and yet they're taking it in a in a in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. Like how can how can someone who is eating the apple eat the apple in a way that doesn't send this this message that the other person is picking up on? Cuz that is interesting. I mean, I'm thinking in my own life there're plenty of times with other things like let's say my husband will be studying something or doing something ambitious and I'll be napping. But I never feel guilty about that. Um, hmm. Yeah, you're just being quiet so he can study. <laughs> very helpful. Um, that's a, it's an interesting question. I think it's helpful for the people to go ahead and verbalize it instead of act it out. So what we don't um, what we don't say, we act out. So we might as well say it to huh. to to our significant other. I'm not saying saying that to strangers at a restaurant, but but to have that conversation and. And see where it takes takes you. I mean, maybe the person who's not eating the apple is thinking, gosh, I'd like some support. Maybe I do want to eat healthier. Or maybe they're saying, I wish you would just tell me, gosh, enjoy that cookie or go buy me a cookie sometime. I don't I don't know. It's just worth worth conversations. Anytime there's a lot of feeling, it's I think it's better for couples to to talk it out instead of act it out. So what would the apple eater say? Mm-hmm. When they feel like okay, I'm just I'm reaching for the fruit bowl instead of the cookie jar, mm-hmm. and you sense that there's some sort of energetic rise going on that's mm-hmm. going, that's mm-hmm. going to be acted out now or later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what's a, what's a dialogue starter? It could be making eye contact and saying, "Gosh, you're beautiful." <laughs> it could you know it could be some some kind of movement towards your partner is reassuring that they're desirable, that they're attractive because it sounds like the apple is a threat as if, you know, they're, they're going to come back to even the apple, but (laughs) it's always the apple. Um, Well, and especially if, if the subtext of this is weight loss, as it often is mm -hmm. that somebody, you know, is tired of buying new clothes every year of putting on three or four pounds a year. And they say, you know, I want to get thinner and now you've got this imbalance, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're taught in society that, you know, that, that tens mate with tens and fives mate with fives. And if I'm a five and I'm going to try to get up to a seven or an eight, then I'm, th- uh, I'm threatening the very fabric of, of, our, uh, of our deal. Mm-hmm. Well, that could work a few ways. So in... In some ways, that could inspire the other person to want to be healthier and maybe in their own pace. So maybe they'll they'll just maintain their weight. They won't get, uh, you know, super uber in shape, but maybe they'll go on a walk with their partner and they'll find some joy in that. And that's better than, than not. Um, if it really feels like in in health or in anything, one person is really growing and the other person isn't, there, there could be some tension. And I think there would be some conversations because I think they're part of the deal of being in a relationship is that you are going to take care of yourself and you are going to do your best to be interesting and stimulating and desirable and attractive. And I'm not talking about a 10. I'm not talking about we can't stay in our 20s forever, but we want to mate with somebody who is going to respect themselves and care enough about themselves to bring that to the relationship. And if it's so imbalanced that one person isn't doing that, I think it's, it's worth a conversation. 
Yeah, and, and, and from the perspective of the person who wants to change, I, I, I feel sometimes in my clients a lot of fear around if I change, I'm putting this whole relationship at risk. You know, and, and, and really asking the question, like, would I be better off without this person and me eating my good diet and exercising and feeling good? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a terrifying thought um, for, for a lot of people who maybe, you know, there may be even empty nesters now and they've been through all this. They've put in all this investment and now they're, they don't want to even ask the question. They want to lose weight. They want to get off their, their mm -hmm. diabetes meds, but they don't really want to ask the question am I in the right relationship? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's it very feels, sad. It feels very, very poignant. And I don't often mm. know, like, I don't want to tell people like, oh, you know, dump the loser. Mm. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but It's sad, too. Hmm. Gosh, it's sad. Um, so how do you, t how do you start? I mean, it, it feels like, you know, your approach is, when in doubt, have the conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it feels like like maybe in your experience that the conversation itself is a lot less scary and a lot more generative than we might think it is when we're imagining the worst. It is, but um, I want to be realistic too and say that sometimes people don't have a way to make it work. And, and I, that's very sad. And I wish I... I think as a couple therapist, I used to think I had the magic wand and or I needed to have the magic wand and there would always be a way to bring people back to each other. But I think sometimes, and it's still sad for me to see, there are deal breakers or there are ways where people just aren't growing together and there's a huge loss. Um, and I don't have a great solution for that except, except to say that's not what I see every day and – uh, and if you don't take the risk to grow and take care of yourself, then what kind of life is that? So, you know, I hope for people listening that they can have both. They can grow and develop and have excitement in their life and have that with a loving person. Well, yeah, when I think about it that way, so there is you're taking a gamble either way. Right. So mm -hmm. you're you're rolling the dice on changing and you're rolling the dice on saying the same. Mm -hmm. If you stay the same, you know where it's going. Right. Because you can see that trajectory. You can see you're, you're going to get sicker and sicker. You're going to have less and less joy in life. You're going to be on more and more meds. You're going to be in more and more pain. You're going to be less and less mobile, less and less able to do things. And, you know, I have clients who are in, in their 50s and 60s and they're upwards of 300, 350 pounds and they see all the limitations. And they're like, this is not life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And yet to change almost feels riskier than the known path because it could lead to, you know, it could lead to this wonderful growth of the relationship and both people coming alive and discovering health and happiness together. And it could also lead to a total dissolution of the relationship. But, I, you know... It's like the you know mm -hmm. the, the the risk of doing something versus the risk of doing nothing, which feels safer because it's nothing. I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, and I think um, what I would say is if you're in a relationship and you can't truly be yourself and you can't truly share your aspirations and hopes and dreams with your partner, then you're not in a healthy relationship. And and what I really want for for people, whether it's their current partner or someday in their life. I want them to have the feeling of being in a safe, secure relationship where um, the couple take care of each other. They put the relationship first. They, they support each other in blossoming and they, they know how to comfort each other. So I think though that most of the people that, I'm, that we're talking about and talking to now are actually in a much better relationship than what I just portrayed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if, yeah, they, you know, they've, it's very easy to, to weigh 300 pounds in the society, just sort of, you know, eating the food we're eating, but in terms of the relationship itself. So I think most people can make it, but they don't really have the tools to, to have these conversations, to create the safety. They maybe haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's like these little skirmishes that go on that maybe are, are unnecessary or could be mitigated or could be completely eliminated with, with some skills. Mm -hmm. so and, 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 and 
I'm going to piggyback on your optimism, and that is there is some beauty in conflict. So when couples believe, I'm going to avoid conflict, I'm not going to rock the boat, oh my gosh, you know, I want peace, they're not really getting peace, and they're they're staying stagnant in a relationship. I see couples grow when they can actually talk about the conflict. That is when they learn about each other's differences and they become bigger. And we're talking about actually losing weight, but they become bigger in their in their soul and their spirituality. And it's beautiful. So um, sometimes through some of the conflict and disagreement, actually a lot of times when people actually deal with it directly and can get some guidance and some support, they can they can grow. So especially if the couple, if you ask them individually, like, do you support your spouse's, your partner's growth? And they would say, yeah, in the abstract, yes, absolutely. I want them to grow. I want them to develop. I want them to be happy. So given that as the context, then what are some ways specifically around the health behaviors that you can remind your partner of that or use mirror neurons mm-hmm. or some sort of other Jedi mind trick to to allay the defensiveness that naturally comes up, you know, because it's not just about the, the the growth. It's also about you're taking away my addiction, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're taking away the way that we work together mm-hmm, as mm-hmm, a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting hotter than me, so I'm afraid you're going to have an affair and you're going to leave me. Mm-hmm. Like, so what are some ways those things just come up? Naturally, what are some what are some ways to mitigate those mm. and be skillful about it? Well, there, there are a lot of interesting pieces to your question, so I'm going to take it apart a little bit. I think one thing is that um, you're to create safety and security. You don't want to become a controlling, domineering partner <laughs> and hijack the process and say, "I'm going to pick the food for the house," or "We're, we're not going to do this." And um, you know, we're not going to hang out with these people. I think if it, you go on this journey for health and you make unilateral decisions, it's it's not respectful of your partner. So to have a safe, secure, secure functioning relationship, the couple needs to make um, joint decisions. And the joint decision could be, um, I'm going to eat whatever I want and you're going to work on eating healthy. It doesn't mean they have to have the same thing, but it means they have an agreement, Um so it's it's helpful to have agreements and not say, okay, you're not allowed to bring in chocolate anymore. That's an assumption that you can just tell your partner how the, you're going to make a life change without discussing it. Um, so, so one of the things I think that would mitigate some of the difficulty is for couples to come up with some agreements that are good for both of them. And, and that would would really be personal. I don't think you'd find that in a book. I, I couldn't list what those agreements would be. It would just be list both people sharing what they need and coming up with something that works for both of them. So when I think of conflicts in relationship, I think of like, I want one thing and my partner wants another thing. But when we're talking about food and, and health behaviors, there's it's more complicated than that, right? Because I want to eat the apple and I also want to eat the cake. And so there's... There's ways in which my partner can be friends with, you know, my angel or my devil, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What, what, cake. What, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> devil's food cake, right? Um, so when I try to think of your question and apply it to um, couples therapy and couples work and secure functioning, what I think of is how a partner by, might be tempted to ally with your um, that that part piece of you that wants that instant gratification mm-hmm. because that can give you relief. So it's a challenge. It's it's the same thing. I think in a way is if if you have uh, a little kid crying and you're going to give them candy every time. Well, as a parent, it's important that that you have have lots of ways to comfort your child and that it's not just that piece of candy. So as a partner, I think it's important not to say, "Oh, you're up, you're upset." Well, we'll get you some ice cream, which I think I think can be an easy habit to get into. Um, but to say, "Hey, let's go for a walk," or "Let me give you a hug," or "What do you need?" and, and to really know lots of ways that your partner's comforted, and other than food. 
Because I can I can remember this one evening, gosh, probably about fifteen twenty years ago, and I was in a miserable state. I was just completely down on the world, frustrated, angry, upset, depressed, and you know I'd been that way for like days. So clearly, I was not a fun person to be around. And at the same time, I was like doing sh like shamanic work and and like you know trying to meditate, and I would talk about gratitude, but clearly, I wasn't you know enacting it in my life. So I remember lying in bed, just being this this stew of negativity, and Mia turned to me and said, "Well, why don't you just try breathing and think of something you're grateful for?" And all I could think of in that moment was. Like f you, <laughs> like how don't you throw that self help bullshit in my face right now? And of course, you know what she was saying was exactly what the best part of me would mm -hmm. have said. Mm -hmm. But coming coming from 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 her coming externally, I simply could not swallow it. Mm -hmm. Like there's so there's there's the danger of the partner allying with your self indulgent. Piece, but mm -hmm. there's also them taking on, you know, your super ego. Absolutely. So, like uh, minefields in both directions. So, back to a strategy that I think is really helpful is talk less. <laughs> and if you see your your partner upset, sometimes it's just, "Can I lie next to you?" and or just holding their hand, or just stroking their hair. And uh, sometimes words are too much. Mm. And it can keep you out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I hear I hear you saying like talk things out. No, and, and, you were right. You caught me. <laughs> and also, well, I think you're saying com like communicate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes talk. We all know in, in ways in which talking gets in the way of communication. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, you're you're talking about being present for them, mm -hmm. and and here's a hard one like non judgmental. Mm -hmm. Right. Doesn't I I, I hear you. You haven't said the word, but mm -hmm. it's, but the energy is like you can't be judging them from from whichever side of this dynamic you're on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, boy, this is this is a really interesting topic, um, and I think bringing love and and remembering why you're with that person um, is really important and again back to making that eye contact being in close physical proximity to the person these are things that are um are low so um beyond our frontal cortex where we're thinking we're trying to be rational if we can get out of our head and get into our body and get close to our loved one and and hold their hand and make eye contact and that can help us where we don't have to come up with the solution or be so smart or, or any of that. We can just be and be in a safe place with our partner. Mm, I love that. I love, I love that it's sort of down to that, that level of simplicity. That, and, I can, I feel, and I hear in the questions, I kept pushing you for like, what's the, for the magic phrase or what's the strategy? And you're saying there is none. It's about uh, presence and love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I love that also because it's related to what I do around, you know, get in touch with your body. Like our bodies don't want to carry 200 extra pounds around on them and they don't want to be on hypertensive medications. And so if, we, if I can get in touch with my body and my partner's body on, on this sort of level, I don't know if it's below or above thinking, but if I can, if I can get there, it's also a tool for helping me move in the direction that my natural biology wants me to move. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Cause we have a relationship with our bodies. So that's a good comparison. We can learn a lot about our bodies and, and our partners. Interesting. So one more, one more question before we close. So, so far we've talked about, I want to change and I am having challenges with my partner enabling me to change or empowering me or making it feel safe. Most of the time the with my clients, the minute they start to change, they want their partners to change too. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of frustration comes in and, and a lot of blowback where now I'm having the big salad and I can't help looking at the greasy piece of meat on your plate. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, I'm not transparent enough you know, or I'm too transparent and you can tell that I'm like, oh God, you know, 
I don't. That's gross. First of all, I'm still attracted to it, so I have to push it away. And also, mm. like, how selfish of you to keep eating that stuff when you're going to die and leave me all alone. Mm. So how do we deal with our own judgments that come up that we can't, you know, they're there. We can't pretend them away. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of layers there. One, you said judgment, them, but then when you said I'm scared, well, I, what I hear is fear that that person's going to have a heart attack and leave me and I'm going to be left alone. And that that's a heart conversation where at some point you might say that to the person and and maybe you would have tears together over that. Um, so I think that would be worth, worth a conversation. I think we can get judgmental and we can um, get irritable when we don't go under the surface and see what the heart is really about. And, and that's a big one is if you're thinking your partner's going to leave you because of um, their, their health issues, that's worthy of a conversation and, and some grief together. Mm. Maybe some crying together and, and some acceptance that that's what it's going to be, but it's honest and it's real. Yeah, and I'm suddenly thinking that several of the people I've interviewed on this show who have lost hundreds of pounds and they were the first ones in their families to do it, is that they had that heart conversation with themselves. Mm. And they had the tears and mm. they saw their they saw their son who was 80 pounds overweight at age 14. And they saw you know, they, they saw the manifestations and they were able to look at it honestly. And so I was just imagining the gift of a partner who can hold that space for you to to be able to say, you know, this is not about judgment. This is about me being scared. I don't I don't want you to go away. I don't want to be alone without you. Like to me, that's such a tender place from which you don't have to be defensive in return. It kind of op- opens you up to maybe making that change that you've wanted to make and you've been terrified that you wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> that, this is a, a thoughtful pause. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not an awkward pause. <laughs> um, uh. And any other, any other thoughts? I, I again want to applaud you because I think this is a great topic, and I I, I think in our society when we talk about uh, health and weight loss and fitness, it's such a kind of an individual, um, flat, not a multi-dimensional thing. Oftentimes, it's it, it's about ego and it's about superficial kinds of things. And I think by you talking about the relationship, you're bringing it to a deeper level. And, and I know you connect a lot of uh, weight and fitness to, to health. And I think this is really important. It, and I hope that it'll motivate and inspire people to take this journey. Well, I'll, you know, before, before I let you go, and I ask you, you know, for your website and how people get in, get in touch with you, it occurs to me to, to really honor the fact that I asked a bunch of questions and you didn't have ready answers for them, and you had, you kind of sat here and thought. And mm. it's it's so. I mean, for me, it's it's such an honor to have a conversation with you where you're you're not just you know reciting your canned mm. answers. You're like you're this is like health and fitness is not your major topic, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And and we're we're kind of trying to weave these two things together. And I just I so appreciate your willingness to think and say, I don't know, like we had a couple that we, we've, uh, we've cut out because you said, you know, I really don't know about that. Mm-hmm, and just, mm-hmm. you know, your own openness and, and, and willingness to sit and consider these new thoughts. So it's, it's, um, it's inspiring for me as someone who often feels like I need to blurt out something just so I can look smart. Mm. Um, and I really appreciate the, the, the context that you've given around this because it wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's incredibly helpful and it's incredibly simple too. And I, would you, would you mind re- sort of repeating the, the parts that are important for sure, people to remember? Absolutely. And I'll bring up one more metaphor that my clients tend to really like, and this is from Stan Tatkin, and what he talks about when he talks about a couple having a secure functioning relationship is that they have a couple bubble and that 
in this couple bubble are the two partners. And there are other loved ones and other things in the couple, but they are outside of the couple bubble. And inside the couple bubble are the two individuals. They're not a glob. They don't become one. There's still two individuals inside the couple bubble that are dedicated to making each other feel safe um, and secure where they put the relationship first. They protect each other in public and private. They really know each other. They know how to comfort each other. They know how to give relief. They know to, how to add excitement. And they're in this journey together to, to make each other feel safe and to make it good for both of them. And in the couple bubble, it, there's a lot of sensitivity and love, and, and it's a fair. Um, what I really like about this model is that things being mutual and fair are, are very important, and I love that. Um, so I think that's what we talked about. We talked about secure functioning. We talked about that couples can trigger this system of war where they see the other person as the enemy and they go into fight or flight. They trigger the sympathetic nervous system and they push that button. But they can also um, learn to push the button that is the parasympathetic nervous system that helps them feel safe and valued and listened to and heard and respected and and calm and uh, that's what we're going for and that's that's where people thrive and grow awesome so if people want to find out more about you and about your practice where can they go go to my website www.orensteinsolutions.com and I would love to hear from you. If you have some comments or want to reach out to me, please feel free to do that. Is your practice local only? Or do you do uh, tele telepsychology? <laughs> um, we're local. We're in Cary, North Carolina. And I do have evening hours for people who have the typical business hours and want to, to come after work. Okay. Well, Susan Orenstein, thank you for this conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much. I, I had a great time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episodes with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 217. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 216 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the weekly-ish Big Change Bulldog e-newsletter, you can sign up. And also, bonus, get the Stop Self-Sabotage report at plantyourself.com slash sabotage. Thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elsbeth Feldman. Oh, Elsbeth. Let's start again from the middle. Elsbeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Lassert, David Donahoe, Blair, Cyber, Doro, Navizov, Rhymes with Keep the Cheese Off, Gio and Carolyn Argentati. Need another breath for Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderbuck, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, and Rebecca Hughes for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find his music at willridenauer.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write that review on iTunes. And here's a couple that I just received, one from Carmel RPH on June 26th. Just want to say thank you for your podcast. I just learned about your podcast and can't stop listening. It's so refreshing to hear people talk about plants solving our healthcare crisis. I have worked as a, in a hospital as a pharmacist for over 30 years. When I first started working, only a few people were on long lists of medication. Now it is rare to have a patient that takes no medication, and the majority of patients take over 10 medications on a daily basis, and they are still sick. Our healthcare system has definitely become a disease care system. Thanks for letting people know about the wonders of plants as medicine. Well, thank you, Carmel RPH. You're the hero here, 
And I'm so happy that uh, what I do helps to uh, inspire and fuel the work that you do every day in, uh, in dealing with the front lines of that crisis. Uh, Instant Listener on June 20th writes about the Instant Pot and Air Fryer episode with Kathy Hester and writes, what a bunch of great info. This was so helpful as I try to figure out how to spend less time in the kitchen and still eat healthy whole foods. I agree with Howard that it gets burdensome having all these devices stuffed into cupboards and shelves, but these two will really help me hugely. Thanks, Howard, for having your neighbor Kathy on to share her experiments with us. All right, Instant Listener. I hope... uh, you get great value out of those. And uh, again, one day, you know, I'm a big uh, Instant Pot user. Maybe one day I'll uh, pull the trigger on an air fryer, but not right yet. And of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron with a one-time gift. Or if you join at uh, Patreon as an ongoing contributor, you get access to all the healthy habit huddles, past and upcoming, and the mind maps that go along with them. Even a dollar a month gives you access to this, although I hope you'll be as generous as uh, prudence allows you to be. In garden news, we had a pretty good potato harvest, a lot of beautiful Yukon golds. Um, I planted a whole bunch of potatoes and then put them under straw because I saw somewhere that that was a good way to get more tubers, and what it did get was lots of rodents, which ate out all the potatoes. So I ain't doing that again next year. The um, pesto is still uh, a daily occurrence. The yellow squash and patty pans are coming to an end. Lots and lots of cucumbers. And last week we got our first ripe tomatoes, a brandy wine and some golden cherry tomatoes. So it looks like tomato season's coming just around the corner. In running news, I'm more or less recovered from the uh, the Leadville Marathon, and I've turned my attention to repeating my first race, that 50K New River Trail in Freeze, Virginia, which will be, uh, I believe, August 14th, whatever Saturday that is in the middle of, not August, October 14th. So um, I've got about 15 weeks to train for that. I just did a slow, easy, humid eight-miler. And so it looks like I'll be letting go of some of the speed work and just trying to put the miles back on my legs. My goal, I'm not sure what my goal is. Last time I did it in 5.08 as my very first race. I'm certainly hoping to get under five hours and flirting with trying to go for four and a half, but somewhere between four and a half and 4.45 probably will be my goal for this beautiful 50K. If you feel like running with me and uh, you're near Freeze, Virginia, it's a beautiful race. It's not too expensive, and I'd love to uh, to run with you there and uh, get to know you and have a chat. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.